Welcome back to series two of Mud Between Your Toes. In this series, I'm going to let my guests do all the talking. People with a great and often inspirational story to tell, or maybe just something funny. So sit back and enjoy conversations with people. Hello, there are some topics I always felt I should, for obvious reasons, keep well clear of. Generally speaking, these concern women's health, and in particular, periods. However, the lady I'm talking to today was instrumental in introducing the menstrual cup to thousands of women in Zimbabwe, many living on remote parts of the country. I'd never heard about the menstrual cup before, and I felt that I needed to find out what all the fuss was about. So Sarah Fox, welcome to Conversations with Pete Wood. Hello, Pete. Thank you so much for inviting me along today. Oh, it's absolutely a pleasure. Let's get to the nitty gritty. What is a menstrual cup, or as they're known in your company, the Viva Lily Cup? Okay, so a menstrual cup is made from medical grade silicon. And the cup that we have that we've designed is like a bell shape, sort of upside down bell shape. And it's designed to just be worn internally instead of a tampon and it collects the menstrual flow. And it's really safe um, and really comfortable. And it's kind of the way forward. It's, it's the way that we are going with menstrual care. It's extraordinary how we haven't really heard much about this up until now. Uh, you co-founded the company with Ernestine Patterson. Tell me, it might seem naive, but who is the Viva Lily Cup for? Okay, so just to give you a bit of background, menstrual cups have actually been in existence since the 1930s. And the reason that people haven't heard about them very much is they've been pretty much put into the green sector of society and of marketing and sales. So only more recently have you seen it, even in the UK or in America, in sort of mainstream shops, so in boots or online, for example. So with, the, with that in mind, the menstrual cup is for everyone. I don't want to say that oh, this is just for, you know, disadvantaged women in in Zimbabwe or in Africa because we use it you know it's for everyone um, and I think that it's probably not the product you would necessarily start a child on who's just getting her first period but that's more psychologically it you need to be ready to use something that's inserted most children don't start with a tampon for example but once you're over that once you're kind of used to your body and you know what's happening really from the age of i don't know 12 13 14 probably about 14 and going all the way through to the end of your period at 50 it is a really amazing product and probably you might add sorry i'm just adding quickly i think that for people we we tend to forget about people in menopause and women going through menopause that's when your body really just goes on its own mission and most women you know suddenly having had regular periods for um you know 30 years suddenly their period goes completely mad and it could be at any time it could be a lot it could be a little so the menstrual cup for older women particularly is incredible but here in africa 
it's a product that is really suitable for schoolgirls and going up. And of course, you have four teenage girls. Um, I assume they also use it. Well, I'll tell you that two of the girls use the cup and two of the girls use period underwear, which is also a product that we make. Um, and that's really, again, an age thing. I think the two older ones started using the cup. And again, for different reasons. My oldest daughter used it because she had a really heavy period, a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort. And for her, the cup was just amazing because it interestingly, and we don't even really know why, I mean, doctors don't really know why, it reduces, using a menstrual cup reduces the length of your period quite often, and it can reduce the pain. And we think that the reason it reduces pain is because it doesn't pull like a tampon or a pad has lots of chemicals in it. And so it's designed to pull and absorb all the blood, but it also absorbs all the natural fluid that's in your body anyway. And so it becomes very uncomfortable. Whereas when you use a menstrual cup, it's just sitting there doing nothing and it just lets the blood drop into it. And therefore it's probably why it's less painful. Um, and then Isla, the young, oh gosh, saying their names now, I hope they don't mind. Um, she uses it because she's very private and she didn't want to have to ask somebody to buy her pads or tampons every month and she didn't want to go shopping. So for her, she can manage it entirely on her own by herself. She doesn't, and nobody needs to know that she's got her period. And I think that's a really sort of big selling point for younger girls because it is an embarrassing topic you know we're still not comfortable with it i mean we'll get to now that you've told me how it actually works but we'll get to some of the finer details in a minute but mm -hmm. tell me about your viva lily company how did you start okay so viva lily started actually we started as the butterfly cut company and we started really after I had a conversation with a friend of ours, somebody that you will know actually, Alice Burks, and uh, she was sort of telling me about this product, this menstrual cup that I'd never heard of, and told me how it worked. And I think that was the first time that I ever even stopped to think about how do people in places that are very remote or people that are very poor, how do they manage their menstruation never entered my head really. And I think when I, I was with her in Zambia having this conversation and when I came back to Zimbabwe, I asked around and I made some inquiries and I was actually really shocked at, at what was happening and felt that this was something that I could genuinely do something about and, and maybe hopefully help a few people. Um, so that's where we started. And it was very much focused at working with NGOs and, you know, sort of getting this, this cup out to, to lots of people. And really it's developed and we've rebranding now as Viva Lily, mostly because we are wanting to be more international, to bring in more products. Um, so as I mentioned just now, we bring in, we make um, period underwear. And so we were kind of, and I think making it, yeah, making it more accessible to more people. Um, it's, so Viva Lily became a stronger brand and we've just redone all our packaging and everything. So it's very exciting. Um, yeah. And so we, we started with the Butterfly Cup. We've moved on to Viva Lily. Um, we're sort of moving a little bit away from just the NGO work. So now we're kind of trying to find ways of raising funds through GoFundMe or through projects, through partnerships, um, 
in different ways to get money together so that we can actually take the cups ourselves to projects because it's a much it's a much slicker much more effective way of helping people than to go through a really big ngo that's quite difficult to work with yeah i can imagine working with ngos is a bit tricky tell me about the the work that you've done in the rural areas what were the challenges and well what were the successes has it been a success in the rural areas yeah it really has i think that um i think in zimbabwe there's been this kind of idea okay so culturally we know that you know there's there's quite a lot of stigma around menstruation that there's an issue with if you use a product that is inserted that you're going to lose your virginity um and we found that it was very difficult initially to kind of get any traction because we would go and see a few of these NGOs and the people, the heads of these projects would be quite conservative Zimbabwean ladies and very much wanting to uphold traditions and cultural views. And then we discovered that actually, if we got out into the rural area, the landscape changed completely because if you are wealthy enough to be able to buy any product that you want, you're wealthy enough to uphold cultural traditions. But if you go out, so for example, if you want to use a pad and you can afford to buy pads every month, that may be what you need to do. And, and that's great. And you don't need to change. Um, but if you're in the rural areas where you don't have access to anything, then what we found is that this idea of not inserting something simply doesn't exist. Um, we actually last week made a film, which hopefully will be going out in the next week or two, showing how women in rural areas make a kind of tampon out of cow dung and how they insert mealy cobs, these soft mealy cobs, to use like a tampon. Um, so it's, it's, and that's a traditional form of, of using cow dung and stuff for, for menstrual care. So once you're outside of Harare, actually, the uptake and acceptability was so high. It's, you know, 98% um, success rate. And we just, oh, wow. yesterday we were out in uh, Epworth. We were doing a project just so Epworth's just on the sort of outskirts of, of Harare. And again, the girls in the program are 14 years old. They were there with their mothers doing training and they're just so excited because, you know, now there's a bit of a change in the cultural view and, and the economy. I mean, most people, 90% or more, probably more, are below the international poverty line here. So it's just, you know, I spoke to one lady yesterday who said that her husband gives her 20 US dollars a month to feed her family and to pay her school fees and everything, everything that she needs. And she's got five children. So she's trying to live 27 of them off $20 a month. But are, are mothers quite open to informing their daughters about the most basic, basic bodily functions? I mean, I know it's quite hard to believe, but the topic, the topic is actually quite taboo, not only in rural areas, but also in quite sophisticated urban populations. Yeah, I think that what we found is um, probably in more urban, more where there's more wealth, there's less information in lots of ways. 
Um, I think that we've seen over the last, you know, 10, 20 years, the family dynamics, the family dynamics, extended family was very much part of um, the life of every person. That's really broken down quite a lot. So it used to be the job really of the aunt to, to inform the girls about um, menstruation and, and still today they do take on that role over marriage and you know sort of negotiating marriages but the, the family structure has broken down a lot so mothers do have to talk more um, and I think what we really see in the rural areas is there's a total uh, not total but almost an entire lack of information and knowledge around what menstruation is, what's happening in your body, how often it's going to happen, what it means. So you quite often see, you know, younger girls getting pregnant because they don't know that once you've got your cycle going, you obviously are going to be able to have a baby. They don't know that. They don't know that it's coming along every month. Um, so we, when we do a training, we do talk to them about every aspect of menstrual health, not just how to use a cup. Um, and the mothers, I mean, obviously, when you introduce a new product like the menstrual cup, it's really important to include the mothers, the caretakers. Often in the rural areas, we'll include the, the men in the conversation, the, the leaders or the elders of the community, because the more people you include, the easier it is to get that acceptability and people understand. And once people understand, it's, a, it's just so easy because what are their options? Leaves, grass cow dung, bits of yeah. rags. It's, it's just such an easy product. To I mean, it's extraordinary what people are having to use instead of tampons. Uh, and mm. they've been doing this for centuries. Uh, how is the cup better than the disposable pad or tampon as far as an environmental point of view goes? Oh, I'm really glad you asked that. Um, okay, so first of all, there's no disposing of anything. So you have to think that if you were to use a pad or a tampon, you've got to get rid of it. And obviously that, that doesn't happen with the cup. And the reasons that that's, and the reasons that's good is, one of them is actually a, a taboo about who sees your menstrual blood. So women and girls, I mean, we went to a training um, a, a few months ago where there was a lady trying to sell disposable pads and she then told us uh, the whole group about these disposable pads and then proceeded to show us how a girl must take the pad apart after she's used it wash the blood and then dispose of the rest of the pad because if somebody sees your menstrual blood or gets hold of your menstrual blood they can in theory practice magic against you. Oh my God. So from that point of view, not having something that you're disposing of, or okay, you're obviously disposing of the blood, but you can be very much in control of how you dispose of the blood out of a cup compared to how you dispose of it from a pad. So environmentally, if you have, well, obviously we know that a pad is has plastic in it, a disposable pad, about, they say about four plastic bags worth of plastic is in one pad. Um, and if you think that you're probably going to want to use three or four a day, that's quite a lot of plastic, um, which we don't have. Then also from an environmental point of view, for them, it's more about how much water 
So many places in, in Zimbabwe have really limited access to water. And if you have to wash a disposable pad, we were talking about this yesterday, actually, because they say you need about five litres of water, which seems quite a lot, unless you break it down and you think, well, actually, the first litre or two, you're going to have to soak the pad. Then the next litre or two, you're going to wash it with soap and then you've got to rinse it. So then five litres doesn't sound very much. But if you've got to walk two or three kilometres to get that water, then it's a lot of water that you need. And then the other problem with the pad is that a reusable pad is that it needs to be hung up in sunshine because otherwise you get bacteria on it and as i've just said you know we can't they're not really supposed to or it's it's, it's not considered correct to show people a menstrual product so you can't put the pad on the line so a lot of girls will try and dry it under the mattress or under clothes and then it doesn't dry properly and then get yeast infections and bacterial infections and then that becomes can become a problem a reproductive health problem that is you know for life um so really it's about you can't wash it very well uh, you can't and also you think you're going to a school where in the summer the temperature might be over 30 degrees and if you have to change your pad where are you going to put the one you've just used in a bag if you've got one in a classroom where it's going to frankly smell pretty bad very quickly. Okay, so but Sarah, then the cup, how long can you keep the cup in? I mean, can you keep that in all day? Can a woman do a full day's work with uh, one cup? And you're talking about water and washing the pad, but I, I assume you need to wash, wash the cup also. Yeah. Yes, but the difference is just massive. So first of all, yes, you can put the cup in place first thing in the morning and you can leave it for 10 hours, 12 hours. You can sleep with it, um, you can travel. It's so easy to manage. So first of all, from that point of view, yes, you can put it in, in the morning and take it out at night and it would be fine. The water, yes, you need water to, to clean it, but I mean, everybody's washing their bodies. So when you go and have a shower, you just take it out at the end of the day, wash it with a little bit of soap and water whilst you're having your shower um, or bath, you know. And then at the end of the cycle, you sterilize it. But what we say to the ladies is if they, I mean, ideally, if you were in a nice kitchen with a cooker and a pot, you could boil it in the pot on the stove. You can boil but, the cup. What, what, yeah, I mean, yeah, what, yeah. What's the cup made from? It's made from medical grade silicon. Okay. So you just put it in boiling water. But if you can't do that, and some women can't, then we say take a tin, like an empty baked bean tin or something, or cobra is quite often what they have, um, and then pour boiling water in it, put the cup in it, and just leave it till it's cool, and it so, will be fine. So what's the lifespan of a cup then, Sarah? 10 years. 10 years and and so you you touched on this earlier what is the cost of a of a cup then because obviously over 10 years the cost of tampons or pads is going to be pretty astronomical yeah yeah it's i mean so the cup if we're selling a cup retail in zimbabwe it's ten dollars if we're selling a cup retail off our website in the UK, it's 15 pounds, but that includes a donation cup to a girl in Zimbabwe. So if you buy one off our website, you're already donating one here. 
Um, and then also we, um, but if we were doing a, a bigger donation, so we obviously have retail, um, wholesale prices. And if you can get enough, and it's usually around about 2000 cups, then we would be able to distribute, to bring it in and distribute it for less than $4 a cup. That's, in, that's incredible. That's really yeah. a pretty good deal. Um, yeah. An area that I'm not very au fait with is that of virgins. Um, so is, <laughs> is the Viva Lily Cup good for vir virgins? I know you mentioned this earlier, but uh, can you just explain? I mean, if you were just starting out, is it, you said it's not something you might, you might not recommend it for a virgin. Well, I think it's, there's two parts to that question. Um, the first part is, what is a virgin? So is a virgin somebody who has used a tampon or is a virgin somebody who hasn't had sexual intercourse with a man? And in that situation, because then we sort of say, well, okay, they'll say maybe it will come up that no, you mustn't insert something because you're going to break the hymen and then you won't be a virgin. But then you have to say, well, are men virgins? How does a man become not a virgin if, you if you're not including sex in that conversation? And then that becomes a bit more sort of, of an opening conversation. So it's really, I think a lot of the time it's educating girls on, or, or mothers perhaps, on what a virgin is. And biologically speaking, not every girl is born with a hymen. Hymen is something that is very different in every person, every girl. So some hymens are very stretchy and they, you may have sexual intercourse and it doesn't break. Some girls will have a hymen that breaks really, really easily. So maybe they ride a donkey or a bicycle or they play sport. And funnily enough, the best way to break your hymen is to dance. And dancing is such a huge part of Zimbabwean culture. So it's really, and, and we need to have that conversation more because of the consequences that girls face if they don't lead on their wedding night. And lots of girls who've never used a cup or a tampon or even had sex will not bleed the first time they have sexual intercourse. So that's one conversation that we try not to get too involved in, but it is something that needs to be addressed because of the consequences. Because if a girl doesn't bleed, then you know, it's very often her husband and her husband's family will consider her used goods and her status will be really diminished. So from that point of view, it's important. From the point of view of us using it, whether does a, does a hymen, does your hymen break when you use a cup? Maybe, but you may not have one anyway. So it's more about understanding what virginity is rather than will a cup make you a virgin or not a virgin. And to be honest, as I've said, once you start having a conversation and you're educating women about you know, the safer way to manage your menstrual cycle. And, and it's not as simple as just, well, if you want to maintain your virginity, use a pad because you've got to have the pad available and it isn't available. And, you know, there's no NGO that I know of in this country that will continue to provide disposable pads ad infinitum. It, it just isn't financially viable apart from anything else so there is this idea that what can you have that that you are using that we you we know we can give out a cup and that child or that girl has got menstrual health care for the next 10 years 
There's nothing else that will do that. I mean, this might sound like a silly question, but uh, are there different sizes to this cup? And, yeah, there are. And, and, and how do you know when the cup's in, how do you know when it's full? I mean, should I okay, be so, Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, those are really great questions. So there are two sizes. There's an A and a B. We probably recommend the A for the younger girls um, and if you're just starting your period. But, it, and it basically goes on your flow. So if you have a heavy flow, choose the bigger size. If you have a lighter flow, choose the smaller size. If you chose it incorrectly, the only difference would be that if you had a small size and a heavy flow, you're going to have to empty it more often. It's not that it won't work. It will work, but you're going to need to empty it more. And obviously that's just a bit inconvenient, but it would still work. Um, and then how do you know when it's full? Well, what we find is when you first get a cup, because it is a bit of a different kind of thing. So most people, most girls will take the cup out often. And then you realize quite quickly, well, there's hardly anything in it. And then you leave it a bit longer and a bit longer. And so you learn by, your own, by yourself. But also what's interesting is if we say, I mean, you, I'm not sure that you would know this, but most women, when they have their period, they only lose about four tablespoons of menstrual blood. If you see that on a pad, it looks horrendous, looks like a massacre. But actually, when you use a cup, you see that it's really not as much as you thought it was. It's so much less. Um, average women, I am saying average, because obviously some girls do have a heavier flow. But generally speaking it's a lot less the cup is really clean so when it's inserted and when you take it out there's no blood on the outside of it it's really clean it's just inside um, that it's just gathered it and it's really good because it also allows you to understand your period better so if you go through your life and for three four five six years you have an average of you know maybe half a cup in eight hours which is pretty average and that's the smaller cup and then suddenly you realize, oh my gosh, this cup's getting full really quickly. Then it would give you a really good indication, <clears throat> sorry, a really good indication that maybe something's going on with your body that you need to go and see a doctor about. So it's also a really nice way of checking in with your own health. Sarah, I, I'm well aware that Zimbabwe is not the easiest place logistically to get around. So is it a problem with distribution? How do you get the product out there? Um, and particularly now with COVID. And, and in fact, are the cups available in pharmacies or do they have to go through you or through an NGO? So we started trying to distribute through pharmacies, but the problem was we had no control of the price. So, so they were just putting the price up from you know, $10 to $60. Um, so that was quite difficult. Um, so we ended up choosing a couple of health shops, or so there's one health shop, a spa, through our own shop, and then from Ernie's house, because she's quite centrally located. Um, so we started off with that. We to get out to rural areas, we have partnered with NGOs. So one of the NGOs that we do work quite a lot with is PSI and they're pretty efficient and they have very good routes out into the rural areas, which for us is harder to get to because you, you certainly need to go through the government and different departments and they have that set up. So where we're doing bigger distribution or we will use somewhere like PSI. 
But there's so many smaller NGOs, like the one we were with yesterday, Shanduka, which works in Epworth. And we were working, and so that's really easy. Then we will go with our trainers and just do the distribution. And with COVID, no, because well, one, COVID doesn't seem to have been such a big issue in Zimbabwe. And everybody, so yesterday when we went out there, everybody has their temperature taken, everybody's hands are sanitized. We did try, they do try to get people to sit, you know, a meter apart, but this is Zimbabwe, so people don't really do that too much. <laughs> um, everybody had masks, but I mean, you know, quite quickly, you can see that, you know, maybe they're not using the mask quite as much as we would, um, you would in, in Europe perhaps, but it seems to, so it's been very difficult going to schools because obviously the schools are all shut down and we're not able to access them. And quite a lot of our projects are in the schools like in Chittanguiza and places. Um, so, but I know that one of the NGOs we work with has just got a group of girls together. So we will go and do a training with them in the next couple of weeks. We did one yesterday. We did a, we went to, so we had some donated money um, from this lovely lady. I want to talk about her a little bit because I think it's, something that we really want to develop if it's okay with you. Yes, she, absolutely. She makes, she's a chef in London. So she, she basically does wedding cakes and she's amazing. Um, and she said that she would make for us a little tray or tin of biscuits. And when anybody orders these biscuits, she donates five pounds to our GoFundMe in the UK. And in the last month, she has raised enough money selling these biscuits um, for us to go and provide menstrual care to a squatter camp, which is quite close to my home, actually. Um, and so we went out there last week, and I think there are some photos on our Instagram page. And that was amazing. So finding people who maybe have businesses where they are able to donate. So, so there's another lady in Harare who does flowers, and she's going to set anybody buying one particular bunch of flowers that's $20, she will donate $5 to us. And trying to get those kind of partnerships up and running is amazing because that gives us the freedom to really help people that other people don't want to help. Like nobody's really helping the squatter camp or the sex workers down in Sakuva in, in near Matari, near the Mozambique border. And nobody really wants to get involved with helping them, but we could if we have our own funding to do it. So. I've forgotten what the question was now. <laughs> like you said, what was that? A distribution, yeah. So no, distribution is quite easy. And the other thing about Zimbabwe is that people are generally here incredibly kind, helpful, they're warm, they're hospitable. So for us to go around, you know, I mean, I can go to into Epworth or, or Hatcliffe, you know, into these high-density areas, and you really don't feel in any way under you know sort of threat or so it's you know you've never been chased out with uh, uh with people ra with raised sticks because you're no. you're you're no, you're a, a bit of a witch <laughs> yeah no i'll tell you the one time i did question it was actually in sakuva which um is this there's a big tenement Do you know what a tenement building is and it's yeah. like four five six stories high and uh, we'd gone down there with, I mean, again, you could pretty much only do this in Zimbabwe, couldn't you? Where we um, got hold of some guy, I don't know how we got hold of him or 
or who he really was. And he sort of said, yes, yes, come to Sukuba. We'll all get you in with, you know, you can come and meet these ladies and talk to them. And so we kind of, Ernestine, myself, and my daughter, Isabel, who at the time I think was 18, um, all got in the car and we drove off four hours down to Matari and we met with this guy who we'd never met before in our lives, have no idea how we met him. And he takes us off and, and we meet all these different people. And then we get to this tenement building and he says, come, 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 we go in and we go up four, five stories and we're in this room and it's, I mean, it's quite small, the room. And there are the three of us, this gentleman and 15 of these um, sex workers. And I suddenly heard all this shouting outside and these men shouting and I'm suddenly, for the first time, I thought, what am I doing if something <laughs> happens? I can't get out of here. And uh, so I sort of looked at Isabel and then I thought, well, there's absolutely nothing I can do about it now. I might as well carry on. So we just carried on and we had a wonderful day. But it was, there was that moment I thought, yeah, well, I haven't really thought this through very well, have I? But they were amazing. And, you know, as I said, Zimbabweans are, are pretty incredible people. Um, Sarah, Zimbabwe is rife with HIV. How is the menstrual cup helping people with HIV or helping prevent people getting HIV? Mm. Is there any link? Yes, there's definitely a link. So there's two, th there's sort of two parts to that. So on the one part, and it's a little bit, um, COVID has really kind of come into play here negatively for us on this, is that, you know, menstrual health hasn't been included in an NGO project um, very much. NGO work here is very much about HIV, famine, and health. Um, and what people, what we saw last year is that the NGOs were seeing how do we get young girls to come in and talk about HIV, to get tested, to get preventative measures in place. How do we get them in? Because nobody wants to come in to a tent that just serves people with HIV or has HIV programs on it. And what they realized is that if they offered sanitary products like the menstrual cup, then they were, it, girls will come for that and then it allows them, it's like a hook that allows them then to talk about HIV. But the benefit of using the cup is that when girls are using products that are not appropriate, and that might even be a pad because they may not quite often have enough money to buy enough pads that they're able to change frequently. So even using a pad or a cloth where it stays in place too long, causes infections, irritations. And once you start getting irritations, you start getting little micro tears, little abrasions in the vagina. And then that means that you're more susceptible to contracting HIV. And so using a menstrual cup, which completely maintains the natural pH value of the vagina, it maintains your health, it doesn't allow for any of these abrasions to occur. So it actually helps to prevent or gives people a better chance of not contracting HIV AIDS. So it is definitely something that um, is being looked at. And unfortunately, because of COVID and because now the country is facing massive starvation and a need for a lot of medical care, we are seeing that 
the money and the innovative schemes that were starting to be introduced this year have now all been taken away again. So for us, I think it's, it's set back the menstrual health care in Zimbabwe hugely. And I just wanted to add, if it's okay, that you know having menstrual health care is really, really important to creating gender equality. If you can't stay in school because you've got your period, then you can't take, you miss out on one exam, that's your education over. If you miss out on two or three lessons that you can't make up, that's your education over. So we see a huge proportion of children, girls, dropping out, usually at the end of primary school. They don't get to the end of secondary school. They maybe get to sort of GCSE level, and then they drop out. As soon as their menstruation comes in, it starts to be an issue. And it isn't true to say, so I have to add this as well, because there's a lot of talk about, oh, they drop out of school because they're menstruating. They don't necessarily. They may be in the lesson, but they can't concentrate and they're yeah. not present. And so they drop out because they lose too much education rather than I've got my period and I'm staying at home. It's more the impact of constantly mm. losing lessons over a period of time that sees their marks drop and then they drop out. <clears throat> and also dropping out of school has a really big impact on how you will whether you will become part of a child marriage, whether you will become sexually assaulted. And we were talking to this guy yesterday and one of it, this Shanduko, and he was saying that 70% of the girls aged between 12 and 16 in Epworth have been sexually assaulted. And a lot of that will be when they're not in school, when they're kind of drifting. So it's so important to keep girls in school. Wow. That's quite incredible, Sarah. Yeah, menstrual health has so many implications. It, I mean, it obviously has an implication for the environment, for education, for health, for getting people out of the poverty trap. If you can, men if you can manage your menstrual health better, you can do better in all the different areas of your life. And that's why the butterfly cup, sorry, just said the wrong word, that's why the, the Viva Lily cup is, just such an incredible product for, for Africa, for Zimbabwe. Now, if you want to find out more about the Viva Lily Cup, you can go to the website www.vivalily.com or the Instagram and Facebook accounts at Viva Lily Co. Uh, yes. Am I correct with those links? Yes, you are. And yeah, and thank you so much for having me on your amazing show. Well, Sarah, and, and just giving us a platform to to talk about this has been amazing. I mean, it's really been eye-opening for me as well. And uh, I find anything that's innovative as well as being environmentally friendly is a big plus for me. Yeah. Um, but sadly, we're out of time, Sarah Fox. Uh, thank <laughs> you so much for joining me on Conversations with Pete Wood. No, Pete, thank you so much. I love your program. And yeah, I'm just so grateful to be able to talk to you about this. So lovely. Thank you. Brilliant. And I look forward to your website being relaunched. Thank you very much. Thank okay, you. take care. And you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's all for now. But if you enjoyed listening to that podcast, you might also find my book, Mud Between Your Toes, 
Faintly Amusing. You can buy the book on Amazon. You can find both series one and two of my podcasts on a plethora of platforms, from direct links on my Mud Between Your Toes Facebook page to apps such as Podbean, Apple Music, iTunes Store, Spotify Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, and Google Podcasts. So don't miss out on my next episode. Goodbye.